You're listening to Racing HQ with Dave Stanley on Sky Sports Radio. Very much looking forward to 10.30s now on a Friday as the carnival is uh, approaching because we're going to be chatting to uh, a gentleman who is very, very well known across uh, horse racing and uh, for his form and data, and that is Vince Accardi. Vince, of course, is uh, the brains behind the Daily Sectionals, and he joins us now on the phone. Good morning, Vince. Good morning, Dave. Uh, Firstly, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate this opportunity to be able to express myself in the way we do our art form. But it would be remiss for me not to just touch briefly on Dean Lester. What a fantastic person he was. Uh, Whilst I've only known him for around 11 years, I really loved the period that I had on radio with him for a few years. It was fantastic. He was a person that um, utilised all our data platform over the last decade and gave some valuable insight on how we could improve our processes as well. And I'm deeply indebted to all that effort that he gave me in making me a better student at the game as well. Very well said, Vince, and we've had uh, a number of people this morning, not only on the text line, but also Ron Duffersey, Glenn Munsey, etc., talking about Dean and his contribution to Sky Sports Radio. So that's beautiful you could start that way. Now, for those that aren't familiar with the name Vince Accardi, Daily Sectionals is the brainchild. You're Melbourne-based, and tell us about your uh, interest in racing and where this escalated, because it's been 35 years you've been doing something like this. Yes, been a long long time and I guess my very first foray into any type of activity when it came to this particular sport was in the greyhounds. My father used to love going to the greyhounds and that's where the journey started and then as I got a little bit older like 15, 16 I got introduced to horse racing and the first time I went I may have been maybe 17 years of age when I first went to the races, I never looked back after that. I was absolutely hooked, loved the sport, loved the art of obviously diving deep, doing form, like all the traditionalists, I guess, would have done. And I just went through the simple processes of doing the Don Scott method, as was the uh, widely acclaimed use of tools back in those early days. So I spent a good 20 years doing a lot of handicapping work. But at the same time, I also had this absolute passion for timing, and looking at you know how fast a horse can run and how could I utilise that information to help me. And, of course, without boring the listeners too much, it, it's a big process on its own and it's a, a big learning curve in terms of how do you utilise sectional times and combine it with everything else. And this is probably what's kept me fascinated in the sport and the love. I absolutely love this game and I can thank it all to doing the deep dive an- analysis of uh, data, I guess. Just reading off your website too, and I encourage anyone out there listening, um, obviously Vince is going to come on and give us some snippets of uh, information and his data, but he's obviously got a lot more uh, available on the dailysectionals.com.au website, and obviously you can buy that data from Vince, and and, uh, hopefully what we can do over the course of the the carnival as we can um, explain to people that maybe have already bought the data Vince or even people just listening how um, this data works and when we talk about data we're obviously talking about sectionals but by going down this path of of learning and and wanting to adapt you sort of you used a lot of international methods um, and then reapplied them to the Australian conditions didn't you? Well absolutely yes I guess the uh, the big the big forum for me was I did spend some time over in America to learn about sectional times. At that 
period in my life, there really wasn't too many places where I could go and improve that area of work. Whilst there might have been a number of people in Australia, they certainly weren't available to themselves other than uh, Mr Brassel was the only guy that I could sort of reach out to on a public forum because he, he used to generate and produce a product that had some sectional time-based work to it with a beautiful graph. There were a couple of other players that also had information, but in terms of that knowledge of learning, you, I felt that I was really all about going out there on my own, and I found that America, there was a wealth of information that you could look into and dive deep and get some clarity about bringing a structure to how you can actually implement and then utilise. And this is basically what I've done. And I've tried all sorts of different methods. I feel like I've arrived at a place where I can comfortably utilise a times platform-based structure that can give me a tremendous amount of confidence. And it's just working with simple processes. Number one, we all know, this is form student-wise, that we start with the understanding of knowing the class of a horse. If we can get clarity around that, a lot of our work's already done in terms of that totem pole. Now, we have a handicapping system. They do a fantastic job in terms of being able to get races. Without having a handicapping process, we can't have races. So I understand that, but it's not always the greatest method in terms of getting insight to the true performance of a horse's class, particularly when they're early in their campaigns and they could be very young horses evolving. And we want to sort of have a deeper understanding about where are they really at right now and how can we utilise that into the future to our advantage. This is from a betting point of view or whether you're an owner or a trainer on understanding about where they may fit, you know, from a distance profiling point of view. And this is what I've really been able to sort of craft my work over the last two decades in particular. I feel like I've improved immensely and maybe in the last 10 years I've seen probably my biggest improvement. And the crazy thing is here I am all these years later and I'm still evolving and learning so I'm just so happy that I can share some of that body of work with everybody. This is exceptional. Let's have a look at uh, tomorrow's racing and uh, we'll look at the major races. I want to talk to you about the Hobartville Stakes events. Obviously, we've got a very short price favourite in Aft Cabin in around that 150 price. Uh, how have you, how has your data assessed uh, the Hobartville Stakes and maybe what are some key points from the data that you can tell us about a few of these runners? Well, the, 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 the classic part here is, is there's a lot of communication when you look at the profile of the form. First of all, we look at 3F Cabin and the 5 Zoo Tiger have been two key fundamental horses and they both come out of the same race. Now, on the surface, it looks pretty clear cut. The performance of F Cabin was far superior to Zoo Tiger, but we have to sort of break down, and this is one of the things that I can bring to, to the forefront here is when we look at the running trends, and this is the energy distribution of the runner in the race, you could see Zoo Tiger was on the fence, Aft Cabin was outside it. What actually happened and what was the impact and who, who got the better energy distribution? So, firstly, if I look at Zoo Tiger as an example, at the 600 metre mark, approaching the 400 metre mark, this horse was travelling 1.1 lengths faster than the standard, which was the exact same speed as Aft Cabin. But but then what happened is, between the 400 and the 200 metre mark, Zoo Tiger was travelling, let's call it half a length above benchmark. So he actually lost a bit of velocity. So you can actually pin to say, how much ground was actually conceded in that vital stage? The data's clearly indicating 
that it's around a half a length. At Cabot, on the other hand, who was travelling 1.1 length above the standard, as it approached inside the 400, increased its pace to 1.7. So, in other words, got about a one-length edge over Zoo Tiger at that critical point. And then I look at the closing last 200 metres, which a lot of form students see that as a vital part. We've seen Afcabin finish off the last 200 metres very strongly, 2.7 lengths, faster than the standard. And Zoo Tiger was exactly the same. It was in the clear momentum space, getting maximum efficiency with the caveat. When you're fresh and you have to have a little bit of a slowdown, what I've learnt over the years is it can impact your final 200 metres in a race. In other words, it dulls the sprint a little bit. So we have to allow for that. So that's one aspect of when you can examine the performance of two horses coming out of the same race. Now, in terms of the way they're structured on how I gave the final figures, AF Cabin came in with a performance of 1.9 lengths faster than standard. And when we look at Zoo Tiger's performance, it was benchmark. So it was a 1.9 length gap. And the data is indicating that we probably could add a length bonus to Zoo Tiger based on what happened between the four and the 200 metre mark. So that's one way of getting insight. The second part is this, is then how do you profile this race and what sort of performance enhancement are we expecting to see from both these runners before we go to where they're drawn and the race pace itself? What's clear, Zoo Tiger last campaign peaked at Rose Hill, at 1,400 metres with a two lengths above standard and fourth best performance of the day. This was September last year. Now, what I noticed with that horse on that particular day, used a lot of energy through the first section, went four and a half lengths faster than standard, which is the quickest the horse had ever gone in its life. And if I compare it to the, its last start performance, it was around seven and a half lengths less. So what I want to know is, how close can Zoo Tiger go to that two lengths above standard second up, which is tomorrow? All the trend lines are indicating this horse is set to run somewhere near that performance, if not break that performance, which is fantastic. That gives me a lot of confidence to indicate that this horse is going to be set to run possibly to a new PB tomorrow. Okay. And on the flip side, we look at Aft Cabin and we ask ourselves the same question. It produced a 1.9 length new PB. Now, when I look at this horse, there's a couple of ways of gauging it. It had a tremendous running transit. Energy efficiency from start to finish was brilliant. So probably couldn't have been ridden much better is what I'm stating. But when I look at first up at its first race start to where it is right now, and then what it did at its last race, last campaign, all the data's indicating, even though this horse came back with a 1.9 first up new PB, this horse is set for much bigger uh, performances. And the data's clearly suggesting that we're in line for this campaign, for this horse to potentially improve two to three lengths from the last start performance, which is exciting. Yeah. We're chatting so with, we're chatting now with... it comes back down to race shape, position in running for today's race that's coming up tomorrow. One's drawn 11, the other one's drawn 7. So Zoo Tiger's coming out of 7, high probability of going forward. It doesn't appear to be a lot of pressure. So therefore, there's a strong possibility that Brenton's going to be able to find himself in a good scenario. And he is a rider... 
that can handle himself very well from a lead speed point of view. Probably slightly better than Tim Clark, but Tim Clark doesn't have to worry about that. His biggest challenge will be, what do I do from 11? Do I push myself forward and ensure that I get a good positioning run? Now, if he gets himself in a forward motion and he stalks Zoo Tiger within two lengths, then the price that's on offer you know, from the TAB, I'm not sure what the current TAB price is, but I have no doubt it will be justified and he will clearly be the superior horse late. But if it gets back and has a little bit of uh, challenges of being able to orchestrate himself in a winning position, then I would give the advantage to Zoo Tiger under that scenario. But then there's a couple of other horses, one in particular, which is the Waller horse that Nash is on, number four, that could be the, the, the quiet horse in the field that also comes from the same race, who had a tremendous close and will be out the back and coming with a big run, I'm assuming, and making it very interesting. But for me, it's really class-wise, number three is the horse to beat from Zoo Tiger. Chatting with Vince Accardi this morning from Daily Sectionals, and I think that's outstanding, Vince. Um, the energy you bring and the understanding of of this data that we sometimes don't talk about on the uh, on the radio here on Sky Sports. So obviously we talk a lot of analysis, and you'll hear Luke Marlow this morning talking about uh, your data when he's referring to. Uh, building his own opinion, but to hear you, who has analysed and pretty much built this data machine yourself, uh, is quite uh, it, it's awesome. Uh, if I'm honest, um, I want to uh, ask you about the two-year-olds. Now I know that obviously um, tomorrow in the Silver Slipper, very interesting race because we've seen uh, these two-year-olds at some points. We do have a couple of two-year-olds first up. You guys do also do data based on barrier trials, but. Um, it's an exciting race. It's race number four on the card tomorrow at Rose Hill, the Silver Slipper Stakes, and currently we have a favourite in King's Gambit. Yes, well, this is a, another really interesting race, and and you can, I guess, peel the onion in many different ways about bringing some clarity around what are the possibilities and who are the, the runners that we should be looking at, you know, from a, a genuine profile point of view. And I guess... If you can give me the insight about who is the the, the horse that's the clear elect, you know, from a market point, uh, you know, TAB wise, like is it King's Gambit so, is the horse that's sitting on top as far as price is. is concerned? Yeah, King's Gambit is your current two sixty favourite, but there has right. been a firm in the marketplace for Cylinder um, right, for James Cummings. So we can touch on these two horses. First of all, King's Gambit. Its first up performance of Rose Hill, eleven hundred metres, which was on the twenty eighth of the first. It was a 1.2 lengths below benchmark standard. Now, for a young horse, I'm going to bring some perspective here. Generally speaking, when they're in their early seasons of campaign, this is like when they're first coming out, you know, shortly after August, to all the way to Christmas time, not a lot of horses have the capacity to break the benchmark standard. And why it is the case from my perspective is we use a naked scale. So it's irrelevant whether you're two or you're ten. If this is the performance at 1,100, you're going to be pitted against all the other 1,100-metre races that have gone on at that track and distance on good-to-dead tracks, regardless of age. And that gives me some insight about where I can fit it on the totem pole as opposed to just saying, well, you're a two-year-old, you're definitely not going to run to that level, and we're going to peg you just in this box, and then we're going to try and guess whether you're better or worse than that. This way here, I get an instant gauge about where you're at. Now, reasonably speaking, most horses in the main 
tend to run three to four lengths below the standard, generally right up until about Christmas time. And then in the new year, as we get closer to you know, the periods of slipper time, we do tend to have a breakout and horses have the capacity to run anywhere, you know, if they're, if they're high-profile two-year-olds we're talking about, one to two lengths above. Now, I can you know, look at some exceptions in terms of, OK, what does that all mean? Well, what it means is this. Generally speaking, you're not going to get a lot of horses that are going to run with high numbers. Now, Vancouver is the, one of the recent horses of this decade that I can bring to the table. When that horse had it within its first two race starts, it was producing performances of in excess of five lengths above standard. In other words, as a two-year-old, it had the capacity, class and ability-wise to compete against open-class horses. So that means that's how talented that horse was. In other words, it didn't even have to improve if it continued on racing as a three-year-old and would win most of the races if it was sound and fit and in the right distance races. So that's a yardstick. So when I look at a horse like King's Gambit, on the last start performance, it's about five, six lengths behind a horse like Vancouver. And like the majority are, by the way, at the moment. What I want to bring back to is the first race starter, though, of King's Gambit. It was over 1,000 metres when it was an easy winner at Caulfield. That particular day, what is hard to do, this horse actually broke benchmark. It was a 0.4 above. It's just marginal, but that's a terrific way to start at that level. That gives me the insight that this horse should trend above that line. Now, the downside is this. We do a lot of simulation work in the back end, and we get a lot of insight to bring in clarity around how much horses should improve or not improve. And we know from history, and we look at all the researchers, and, and I'm included in this part of the process, that we typically believe that horses will keep improving from a two-year-old to a three-year-old to a four-year-old, and possibly right up to five. But when I do all the simulation work in the back end, the data gives me a completely different picture. And what it says is that 80% of horses are usually generally chasing what they do in their first campaign and never get past it. Mm. Now, when I say first ca campaign, there's a caveat. If you've only had one race start, it's hard to get a guide on that. So if they've had a few races and they haven't had any interruption in that campaign, you can use that as a good guide. So I have an expectation that this horse should be able to break benchmark. Now, that last start run is a clear indicator of that. I look at the breakdown of the performance. It was 3.1 lengths below the benchmark standard through the first 300 metres. Between the 8 and the 400 metres, this is King's Gambit, improved with acceleration of around 1.5 lengths. And most importantly, particularly when you're wanting to get insight about how well a horse can run up to 1,200 metres, this is how I'm using the sectional times. I'm looking at the last 400 metres. It's a 4.4 lengths above benchmark. This shows me a couple of things. Number one, excellent straight line speed. Fantastic. Number two, a little bit of sustained speed as well, because a lot of young horses don't have the skeletal structure to be able to cope with that. And then I go on, I have a look at the last 200 metres, magnificent, a plus 2.3. All the signs are very, very clear that this horse is headed in one direction. It's upwards. I then look at the simple things like who's the trainer, outstanding trainer. Who's the rider, Nash, outstanding rider. He's one of the best riders when it comes to understanding energy efficiency on horses. He's dynamic. I don't know what it is, how we can know that, but I just look at it through the prism of the data. He's brilliant. Yeah. So 
I cannot fault this horse, even how he's drawn. So he's going to be given his opportunity to break benchmark. Now, mind you, if you run the benchmark, it's going to make it extremely hard for any other horse to beat that performance on the profile that I have right now. That's not to say that that can't happen because one of the beauty of young horses are they can leapfrog dramatically from run to run and they can leapfrog from dry ground to wet ground in a massive difference. And race pace is absolutely cru- crucial for a lot of young horses because they don't get the opportunity to breathe correctly. Their aerobic structure doesn't allow them to flow in the right motion, so the pace pay- plays a big role. And generally, it's always faster than, what it's, than what's ideal. So Cylinder, who's the other horse that's probably one of the, the main attractions, particularly now that you've sort of given me some clarity around the fact that this is a horse that they've come for. And when I look at the breakdown of this run, this horse has only had two lifetime starts. Its first, first performance at Newcastle was a 1.6 lengths below standard, ranked 19th best of the day. And one of the reasons why I introduced the ranking, and I know a lot of other people like to use that now, which is fantastic, I introduced it for a simple reason. Sometimes it's very difficult to run time at tracks because of the way the, cut, the grass is cut, could be the conditions on the day, could be where the rail placement is, could be wind. So what happens is ranking can play a very important role in how you can truly assess the performance, particularly if you want to make adjustments. What I liked about the, the performance that I was selling the first up, I look at the last 400 metres, it was very, very strong. It was around 3.1 lengths above the standard for that track. The first section, which is the critical first, you know, in this case it's like only 100 metres, it's around 4.4 lengths below standard. But I had a Caulfield run where I could get more guide, and it was like, that was 2.3 lengths below. Now, I have to note, on that run that day when the horse had its second lifetime start, I thought it was terribly disadvantaged that day. When young horses are forced to slow down dramatically between the 8 and the 400, it really distorts their, their energy flow and they cannot perform to their optimum. In this case, Cylinder actually had a three-length slowdown between the 8 and the 400, which is a disaster. And when I look at the, how much of an impact it was, you could see the last 200 metres, the horse actually broke benchmark. So this horse's performance on that day could have been a lot better. I'm not saying it would have won the race, but it could have been a lot better. The barrier trial in the 13th of the second was solid, but it was a below benchmark barrier trial. The indications are this horse is trending in the right direction. Is it going to be trending enough to outperform a horse like King's Gant? Well, we're going to find out because they've both got their chance to go to the next level. Absolutely sensational, Vince. I, I could talk to you for hours about this, and I'm, we're getting a lot of texts on the text line uh, about uh, you know the the analysis and just the different way you're looking at it. For those that are interested in, in, in looking at uh, Vince's data and, and getting involved with his platform, dailysectionals.com.au. And what type of stuff have you got available on there that uh, people can buy, Vince? Well, the humble thing that they could start with if they like is we have what's called the race speed profile. And there's two versions. One version is just, it's a data only, but we have our most advantaged runners and it's a very low cost and affordable. So what we do is we indicate what the lane biases are going to be on the day because we have clarity in advance on that, what the typical race shape looks like and who our four most advantaged runners are in each and every race. And then, of course, there'll be IVR data in there that sort of, you know, this is the benchmarking on how fast or, or, or slow they've been performing. And what we do is we use qualifying runners to 
bring clarity around what we'll, what we feel they should be producing today. And we also have like a, I just call it like a high jump hurdle. What's needed to win the race? Example like this race that we're talking about, you need to have a hurdle rate of 1.7 below benchmark or higher to be competitive, and that gives you the insight. So that's a, a data that you can definitely get a, at, a, at a low cost and a great place to start. And then somebody that wants a little bit more information, we also have what we have called the final edition of that, which comes out on, a, on race morning and has some commentary around some key runners in each of the races on the day. And then further to that, we do over this period only. We have a podcast that I do with Ralph Horowitz. Yep. You can get on his uh, Canva, on his uh, on his website, Racetrack Ralphie. And what we do is we do a deep dive, and we're we've only done a deep dive in Victoria for this weekend. And you also get the accompaniment of the race beat profile final edition, and you get the early edition, and you can get my thoughts just like we're speaking right now about the two races we've covered. Yeah, that's sensational. I think that's good because I have heard that podcast you do um, with Ralph, and I think obviously you're focusing there on Victorian races. It's good for our Sydney audience to to look at these uh, Sydney races as this carnival unfolds, and obviously that data is available for. Uh, all major centres and the barrier trials, etc. So head to dailysectionals.com.au. I really appreciate your time this morning. I'm looking forward to this 10.30 segment now every Friday, mate, because, um, as I said, you've got a passion for it. You've got an understanding of that data from looking at it for so many years. And if it can help us back a winner, I think that would be fantastic. Well, I'm just, again, very, very grateful and humbled by the opportunity that you've given me, and I look forward to helping in any way I can.